Hello and welcome to the Podagogy Podcast, the podcast that aims to bridge the gap between teaching, coaching and all things pedagogy. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Podagogy Podcast. Today I'm joined by David Bird. David is a coach educator for the Scottish FA and the creator of Scoreboard Soccer. Thanks for downloading and enjoy. But yeah, thanks thanks for joining me anyway, David. Welcome. No worries, cheers. Um, so I think before we get going, if you just tell us a little bit more about yourself, really, um, kind of what you're up to um, and then the kind of the journey leading to that point, really. Yeah, uh, no worries. Thanks for having me on, uh, Dexter. So at the moment, I'm working with the Scottish Football Association uh, in a, a role in growing the girls and women's game in the, in the southeast region of the country. Uh, so I'm club development officer. Essentially means I'm helping our community football clubs to have the strongest female pathways uh, possible. So that's a lot of help with volunteer recruitment, coach education, creating the right environment for, for young female players to uh, come into the game and stay in the game uh, and enjoy it and have, have good first experiences, which might develop a, a lifelong passion for football and sport. Uh, there's a there's more and more um, want for women's recreational football as well. Uh, a lot of women coming, you know, maybe back into the game or perhaps opportunities went there to play when they were younger. So we have a lot of over 35s walking football, just pick up football sessions. Um, so I've got a real passion and currently enjoying my role in the girls and women's game. Uh, I kind of partner that with, I'm a qualified coach educator with the Scottish FA as well. So I deliver a lot of our coach education courses, our, our level one courses. Um, and I have a secondment in the primary schools going in and helping teachers uh, deliver, deliver football. Um, as part of their their you know PE session a day whether that's in the gym hall or out in the playground or, or after school sessions, uh, so that's something we can maybe dive into a little bit later. But I've got a little bit of experience and, and knowledge when it comes to supporting teachers who are uh, in their element in the classroom. You know, fantastically knowledgeable and engaging with, with other subjects, but actually when they're tasked with delivering football, which a lot of children ask about, can maybe take them out their their comfort zone. So I've got a few ideas to share there. Um, I'm really enjoying that secondment. Actually, it's really rewarding. Because that's your target audience, isn't it, Dexter? I know I'm going on a target already, yeah. but you go into you know you go into a primary school and you can actually facilitate football for the kids who really enjoy football and want football. But you can develop that love for the ones that, that maybe aren't too sure yet or or haven't experienced it. Um, how I got to the the journey? Um, yeah, I've got 16 years experience uh, behind me, um, from from volunteer coaching to uh, coaching in college, then my HNC, HND, then onto my degree at university. Uh, the whole time, uh, volunteer coaching, helping out with local clubs, local programmes, uh, disability football, walking football, um, entertainment football. We used to work in a place called Soccer Circus, which was was all about merging football and entertainment. It was kind of like football's version of mini golf. You know, uh, customers working their way around a circuit, uh, trying to knock out lights and roll the ball over lights on the floor and hit targets and um complete throw-ins and all these kind of things to get the best score they possibly could before they, they went around the circuit again uh to then coaching um abroad for a number of years as well so uh yeah a lot a lot of different experiences to to pull on awesome so let me let me put this to you then um david for you uh, what does the optimal or yeah the optimal learning environment look like for you and how can we strive towards that as an educator yeah, I love how you say, like, for me, because that's what it's all about, isn't it? Like, well, you ask 100 people this, you'll get 100 different yeah, yeah. answers. And I always say in coach education, I'm, I'm talking about our way to do it, not the way to do it. 
the optimal learning environment for me, good question, the, the optimal learning environment is, can I make myself obsolete? Yeah, that, that would be the best thing. Um, you know, I just show up and I'm just kind of facilitating fun, facilitating football, overseeing the activity to make sure everyone's safe and engaged, but really maybe don't even need to be there outside of that, you know, the optimal environment. So uh, trying to get is kind of, I know a lot of my conversation comes back to children because that's where most of my work is, but something that's child-led, you know, whether it's opening up a gym hall or a pitch and, and throwing out the cones, goals, footballs, a wee basketball net if we have it, uh, a couple of mats from to do roly-polies on, a couple of hula hoops and hopscotches, and then they just come in and they just they just play. Um, you, you know the aim of your session. So in that example there, it's free play, socialising, motor skills, invasion, people development, because they'll be interacting with other kids in a safe environment. And I set that up and, I, and then I make myself obsolete. If the children are a little bit older um, and they actually get training at their clubs two or three times a week and that's where they go to be coached, maybe I'm setting up an environment for them to play football because a lot of kids don't do that in their spare time anymore in the street environment it's kind of naturally evolved from that, away from that. So is it actually they show up and there's three, four, five-a-side pitches set up, the bibs are there and they, they pick teams and they play? And if I've got the environment right, uh, which is, is a big part of the, the book I've recently released, we can come on to later on, if I've got the environment right, then my role becomes a little bit kind of obsolete. Um, on that environment there, if you want to make it really child-centred, don't even set up the pictures or the goals for them. They just know that, that this environment's about coming in, uh, picking some teams, setting up some goals and, and, and playing, whatever it might be. Um, I spoke about my big role in the girls and women's game and I need to have an appreciation that I've never lived that journey. I've never came through as a, a young female player or an older female player who didn't have a lot of opportunities. So when I'm putting on, you know, women's recreational sessions, you know, I don't want to be seen. I want to set up the environment for the, the women to come in in a female environment, which is what they signed up for. So, yeah, I take a lot of words to answer the question, but yeah, the optimal environment is, you know, can I make myself obsolete? And I pull a lot of that from my interpretation of the real world, you know, we don't have people out there telling us to stay within the white lines when we're driving and telling us to stop at red lights and showing us how roundabouts work. You know, it's all obsolete because environment helps us to be safe on the roads with speed bumps and, and whatever. Um, we, we, we don't have people guiding us through Tesco to show us where the, the milk and the bread is because the environment is set up for the behaviours that they, they want. There's signs there, there's layouts there to have the peanut butter next to the bread. You know, they put the milk up the back of the shop so you, you, you buy loads of stuff that you don't want on the way there. If you design the environment, the, the, the human behaviours will come with that. And and then what I think you can add value as a coach and add a person is it actually gives you time to come in and, and add some experience or some coaching points or a little bit of feedback. Um, but you, you don't want to be there flustered because something's not working. You know, planning's a big, big part of, of the environment I try and create. Yeah, I love that analogy, by the way, in terms of you know, the supermarket and, and structuring the environment. I think for me, you, there's two words that I want to touch on. You talked about environment and, and safety. And I mm -hmm. think you look at that through two lenses. You've got the, the physical environment uh, that you're talking about yeah. setting up the equipment that you bring in. And we've got the physical safety that obviously accompanies that. But I think also it's really important to consider the uh, psych, social, emotional environment that we're creating. And then also psychological safety that hopefully comes alongside that so for me it's you know it's um an environment where risk taking in terms of trying new things is okay yeah. where failing is okay um where having a go is okay do you know what i mean 
Oh, 100%. And that's in vitamins I plan. Uh, and a lot of that can that drum can be banged through your enthusiasm and your instruction as well. You might not get that 100% from the environment or you can at least ramp that up with your people skills. So I, I design environments um, as a coach educator slash, you know, I have my own kind of coaching website, scoreboardsoccer.com, where I design environments and I say, right, go and run with this. You, you'll give your groups a good experience, whether that's children, older adults, whatever the, 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 the people you're working with, here's an environment that, that might work it's designed for but then it only works with the right people you know so I'm contradicting my, my, myself a little bit if it's if your behavior is child-centered you make yourself obsolete but if your behavior is loads of enthusiasm loads of energy in, in a place where they're allowed to make mistakes and maybe you need to come in and, and, and create that culture and um, so I talk often with the groups I work in um, and this is what I mean about topping up the environment the environment set but my culture that is alongside that is effort over outcome I talk about this all the time effort over outcome if you're doing a shooting practice or a small-sided game or anything at all particularly with young players effort over outcome and, and I talk all the time about how I genuinely don't care in development football where the, the ultimate aim is to develop people I genuinely don't care where the ball goes if they hit the back of the net if they complete a pass to a teammate if they get past the player when they dribble if they win the tackle all I ever focus on is the effort. I love that you tried to take someone on. I love that you did take someone on. I love that you, you opened up, lifted your head and had a shot there. doesn't matter if the ball goes 20 yards wide. I might praise the process to lift their head, shoot, encourage the effort. And then effort, if they know that's what you value, that's what they're going to keep giving you. And with practice, then the outcomes are going to improve. Because I find it can be dangerous on two fronts if you focus on the, the outcome. This is just my experience kind of coming through. If you focus on poorer outcomes, like why are you shooting from there or, you know, that pass was never on or you don't have the ability to take on that player, so stop doing it. It's going to be a knock of confidence, a lot of anxiety, and they're less likely to repeat the behaviour because you've put a negative effect on it. And then they're not going to improve anyway. But also, if you focus on positive outcomes, great shot, you know, oh, what a pass, I love that dribble. You focus on that too much, you know, the success of what happened. Those players can actually become really, really complacent. And they can stop pushing themselves on. They think they're the best player in that group, in that town. And, you know, they might be. But actually, there's kids all over the world that are pushing hard to, to, to achieve the same goals as that young player. So let's try and keep them striving as opposed to settling. Um, so I'm really focused on effort over outcome. Because I find if you have the, if you get a culture of effort driven between myself, my fellow coaches, parents and guardians and the player, effort, 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 those players will essentially leapfrog anyone who's outcome driven. You know, the, the, the parents that are giving 50 pence a goal to their, their children can be quite unhealthy uh, behaviour. Uh, they're telling everyone my son or daughter's playing a year up or um, he scored seven goals under eights football. Um, and it's just my opinion. Again, you know, there's no right or wrongs in football, but I think that that focus on outcome can be less nurturing in the long term as opposed to that focus on effort. Uh, and all these transferable skills as well, Dexter, that you alluded to as well, around the bigger picture of socialising and developing a sense of humour, developing confidence, having the ability to, to approach uh, and ask for help. And um, these are all things that you encourage within the environment, um, all, all healthy behaviours, in, in my opinion. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I do um, a bit of coach education as well with the, the new, uh, what is now the new level one here in England, mm. in addition to coaching football. And you get a lot of questions from from coaches about various things, or you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put some kind of questions out to, to test the water. And a lot of stuff comes back. A lot of the things they they say is around 
I want to create this environment. I want the players to feel like this. And my response to that is fantastic. Like if you can get that right, if you can get the players to want to come back every week, want to turn up, uh, they're excited to play, they're excited to learn, they're enthusiastic about it, then you're already halfway there. You, you yeah. probably, probably more than halfway. Um, yeah. And that's the same with myself. I spend a lot of time in a classroom as well with with, with my day job with, with with learners as well. I want to create a classroom where they're they're, they're enthusiastic about being there, where they, where they want to be there, where they want to turn up. Um, I'm just kind of going back to what I said around that, you know, that psychological safety. I think it's important as well, like you said, praising the 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 process or the effort as opposed to the outcome. So one anecdote that's in my head is around, you know, I might put a, a little open question out there to, to the classroom and someone who maybe doesn't usually have a go, you know, will, will put their hand up or or I'm, I might call on them and they'll give me an answer that's not not quite there, not quite what I'm looking mm. for. That might get a that might get a couple of laughs or a couple of sniggers from the from the classroom. And at that point that's like a watershed moment for me where I've got two choices here. And yeah. the, the, the the choice I hopefully I go for is that well actually no is let's not laugh because the answer wasn't quite what we're looking for. I'm happy yeah. that you had a go for me and you've thought about it and you've given your opinion and then we can build from there. And for me, yeah. that's much more beneficial for everybody than than dead silence and nobody being willing to have a go. Yeah, and the the effort over outcome. Um, if you've never thought about those lines, because you know I got to a point where I had the light bulb moment. Somebody giving me, you know, passing that knowledge of effort over outcome, and you know you take that. And when I say that, and it's a wee light bulb moment, that doesn't only have to be for parents, carers, and fellow coaches. It can actually be for players as well themselves. You know, when I go in and work with a team or a group or a program where I'm supporting them to develop. Um, you know, I've, I have said to groups that it's all about effort over outcome and just trying your best and having that that kind of, and that I've seen that light bulb moment come with players but because of a bit of an issue with coaching a girls football team. I have an environment that I like to think I create, I'm approachable enough and a girl comes and one of the older players is kind of making her feel a wee bit anxious and making her feel a bit kind of rubbish at football kind of thing. So you call the group in and you have a chat and just say, look, I don't want anyone having a go at someone for poor outcomes, you know, passing the ball away or and kicking out a player having shots because I'm actively encouraging them with effort. And I give them the same spiel I've just gave, gave yourself, Dexter, that in my experience, the one that I really focus on outcome, you know, you're going to think you're the best, you're going to get complacent. And then this young girl who now, thanks to you, is developing a lot of resilience as well. She's just going to keep focusing on effort, keep doing the right things and progressing. And that was a team environment as well. So I'm like, I want everyone thinking along those lines it's not just the coach who praises the effort over outcome, but actually if a young player in particular or any one of the players attempts something and the outcome's poor, praise the effort. Because if we all invest in effort, then collectively we reach our goal, whether that's winning the next game or winning the league or building a team to win the league next season. You try and get everyone kind of pulling in the in the same direction. And that's why it's really clear to have that ultimate culture and that ultimate aim of you know where it is you want to go and, and what's this programme actually for? Like, why am I actually here? Because uh, you obviously get a lot of volunteers. I would have been guilty of this myself uh, when I first started uh, volunteering that you kind of pluck the professional culture off of the TV screen and you try and put it in with kids. Uh, you're, you're in coaching the kind of 4v4 level. Yeah. The second you have four players in red against four players in green, you think this is a game now. And it's about spreading out, passing and moving and, and, and trying to score more goals in opposition. But actually most national associations don't keep score lines or keep league tables at these younger age groups because actually those that's eight young players on a pitch that you're all trying to to develop, and it's the effort over outcome that should that should really come to the to the surface there. Um, but yeah, it, it's hard. So you, you need to know what the 
that particular example, it's individual player development. I'm a, a dad myself, and, and in my opinion, is if I bring my daughter to your coaching program at that age, I want you to make her a better player, you know, or enjoy the game or develop a love for sport that will keep her involved and give her physical and mental uh, well-being uh, benefits for the rest of her life or socialise with friends. That's the ultimate, the ultimate goal, and we can't lose sight of that, uh, as opposed to thinking... I don't care as a dad if they win 7-0 at the weekend. That's not that's not what it's all about, um, in my opinion. Yeah, no, spot on. I mean, at risk of going off on a tangent here, but I think it's important. But that collaborative approach for me that you're talking about is so important that I think, yep. like you say, we don't keep leagues and tables and whatever. But I think we need to forget that you, you know, you're wearing that that badge on your kit and I'm wearing this badge. We're all here because of these young people on the grass. So I, again, I work with the, with these new, co- these new coaches around um, and I've done some coach development work for, for a grassroots club um, in, in my area as well. And one of the big things is, you know, a match day, you might have two subs on the side and the other team might have two or three subs. Why can we not just have a quick conversation and we'll just yeah. set up another little pitch over here and these guys can play a 3v2 while the game's going on. And now a lot of the feedback I'll get, you know, sometimes it might be around the parents or why is my son on, on that pitch and not the main pitch or whatever. But again, if we can all just kind of put our heads together and remember why we're here and what we're trying to do and who it's for, our outcomes are going to be so much more beneficial than just doing our own little thing. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And I'm a big fan of that as well. And a lot of this comes down to you know, an individual passion from grassroots volunteers and people involved in the game, you know, we, we, we couldn't do it without them. Um, you know, actually, as you say, just having a conversation, you know, okay, we've showed up to potentially play 4v4. We both have four and two subs. So actually we can get, you know, three 2v2s going, a 4v4 and a 2v2 at the side. We can go across the pitch and get two 3v3s going and, and optimise game time. And one of the things I'm really big on, and it's, it's, it's hard to... to um, well, it's, it's not really my place to, to, to probably try and change the culture. I'm just giving out ideas out there. And, you know, if I show up with a little team I take, I'll maybe throw this out, idea out there and try and do it. That It sounds a wee bit crazy to people of a certain generation, including myself in this, that we have a 3v3 going on the pitch. I've got one sub, Dexter, you've got three subs, and we, we get a 1v3 going on the side. Uh, and that, that seems crazy because that's not traditional football. But actually, if that's just a norm for our young players coming through, 1v3s, 2v4s, then that's just going to be the norm for them coming through in those environments. And actually, we maybe don't develop Messi's and Ronaldo's 1v1. Actually, if you want to develop these top players, maybe 1v3 is a, is a way to go. And if that environment's not quite working, then of course we can take a, a bib from one of your players and we can go 2v2 for a wee minute. Um but I just think it would be great to see that regardless of the numbers, we, we make it work for the young people. And that's where their voices are so important as well, because we can't lose sight of the fact that, well, actually, they might want to rest and be off the pitch and, and have a drink of water and, and chat to the subs and talk about school and talk about their hobbies and interests. But I think when we show up, we do loads of small-sided festivals, the whistle blows, you rotate around the pitches, and we get on a pitch together, Dexter, we, we have that conversation, just as you said, right? How many have you got? So you've got six players. How many have I got? I've got four players. You say to the kids, right, guys, we've got 10 here. Uh, what do you want to do? Do you want to do Dexter's four against our four and, and two subs? Or is there anything else we can think of, depending on the age of the kids? Obviously, if they're young, they might need a wee bit more support. But what do they want to do? And then they might give you that real light bulb moment, be involved in the, the decision-making of throwing their hands up and saying, oh, well, we could do this, coach. You know, we get a 2v2 and a 3v3 going, oh, brilliant idea, Sarah. I didn't think of that. Let's, let's do that. Let's give that a try. 
Um, and I think, thankfully, you, you guys will have better sight of, of what's going on down south. But I think, thankfully, a lot of football is going that way now. Of the younger age groups, how can we facilitate as much football as possible? And we shouldn't lose sight of how far we have came because seven yeah. and eight year olds yeah. were playing 11 v 11 football not too long ago. So now that we're down to yeah. 5v5, 4v4, I'm seeing more and more 2v2, 3v3. I think a lot of people aren't too far removed. I think about myself here. I would love to go back and if I had the chance, um, you know, guys, who wants to play 5v5, show fans, who wants to do 3v3s, I, I would be right up there with the smallest numbers possible. And I'm not saying every kid would be like that, but touches, goal scoring, involvement, I would be soaking. I think I'd be a better player for it now as well if I went back and it was that games-based approach, real focus on, uh, you know, technical repetition within a games-based environment. Because a lot of coaches, and sorry, I'm going on a real tangent here, Dexter. Okay. Again, it's plucking it from, from Monday night football, you know, Liverpool, Man United tonight, and saying, right, let's talk about this, let's do these tactics and this kind of stuff. I think you can backtrack that, though. What you can backtrack is your young experiences of touches of the ball, change of direction, physical literacy, motor skills, you know, acceleration, deceleration, running around the pitch. You know, you can't, and, and getting touches of the ball and, and really engaged because you're trying to score and you're trying to stop the other team from scoring. Well, that's the Gates game, the end zone game, the numbers game, four-goal game. I just You can't replace that. And I've, I've said before, if I had a game of uh, seven aside or 11 aside next week and we lost a player and my wife had to fill in for us, now she doesn't like football, she's never played football, she has no interest in football. But if she had to fill in for us at 11 aside, right back, I could sit down with a tactics board and within 10, 15 minutes, maybe even less, I could say, right, Heather, so I'm playing centre-back, you're right back, so you're kind of here next to me. I'll tell us when to move up and just do your best kind of thing. She'd get quite a bit. She's a smart person, you know, she's got a PhD. You know, she'd get the tactical side quite quickly, as I think most people would. But what we couldn't do in that 50-minute conversation is control the ball, manipulate the ball, change the direction, you know, dribble the ball, shoot the ball, all these kind of fine uh, fine motor skills. So I love the fact that our small-sided games were... We're getting a lot more creative of how we just maximise opportunities to play. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that the tide's definitely turning down here as well. Um, so I'm really uh, excited to hear a little bit more about um, your scoreboard soccer games um, and kind of the, well, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll let you explain if, that, if that's cool. Yeah, so that, that's what I talk about, about kind of environment-based learning. I try and set my sessions best as I possibly can. Of course, you need contingencies and different things. Um, but I'm all about the games-based approach, as you can probably tell. Look, 3v3s, 2v3s, 5v5. And I love four-goal games and end zone goals and all this, kind of, all this kind of stuff. But I guess scoreboard soccer is just another example of a conditioned game or a, a game-related practice, small-sided game, whatever you want to call it. So when I go out there and I play 4v4 with the younger ones, and I'm going back on a journey of about six years now, I feel as if the issues I had at the coalface of being a grassroots volunteer and the issues the grassroots volunteers are still bringing to me for a little bit of help. I've been quite consistent across the years. One or two players dominating the ball, you know, always dribbling, not passing, and they're just a little bit better than maybe the other players. And that's not going to that's not going to say that that's always going to be the case. It might just be they started football earlier, or they've had their growth spurt earlier, or they've trained longer, um, you know, played more out the back garden with my dad. So anyway, players dominating the ball. Some players uh, disengaged, maybe an issue around behaviour with some players. If you just say, right, bib up and let's play 4v4, 5v5, whatever it is, there's loads and loads of benefits, but there's a couple of barriers to development in there as well. One of the ones I used to see quite a lot is we're playing 4v4, so 
um, if you dribble by me and score, I'm just about to get the ball anyway, or if you knock out a play. So actually, I can practice all these poor habits of just letting you buy me kind of thing. And then obviously within that game, your main gauge of what's going on is the scoreline at 4 4 5, 5 which, you know, they're not going to remember in 10 or 15 years' time, the, the scoreline in a 4v4 game and, and training on a Wednesday night. But what we want in 10, 15 years' time is for them to be good people and good players. So is there some interventions we can do here, create the environment to knock down some of these barriers? And, and some of your listeners might have seen scoreboard soccer, but essentially, I'll take you on the full journey if you don't mind. We're playing 4v4. Little David's getting the ball, dribbles by everybody and scores. The team try and build out. He wins the ball, he scores. Wins the ball, scores. Now, I'm not one to bring him down to the level of the other players because I'm his coach and I need to accelerate his learning. If he can take on two players, I need to teach him to take on three, four. So he needs to know that, in my opinion, the dribbling by everybody in school is not a bad thing. It's a really, really good thing. But how do I develop all the other players on the pitch uh, without making him play two-touch or saying he has to pass the ball? So what I did at the side was I set up what I'm now referring to as a scoreboard. So I had four yellows against four reds. I put out four red cones at the side of the pitch, four yellow cones at the side of the pitch. And they had to come in. If they scored a goal, put a ball on their coloured cone. And it was just a you know, pretty simple little intervention that gave them a visual representation that we are winning the game. I've did something really good. And I'd come and make sure that I bank that point and show everybody I did something really good. So David dribbles by everybody's scores. I'm saying, David, that's fantastic. Come get a point on your team's scoreboard. He's come over with a big smile on his face. He knows that's a good thing, dribbling with the ball. He puts a ball on the cone, and he doesn't maybe realise that I'm just momentarily getting him off the pitch so the ball can be can be shared with with, uh, with other players. Um, the, the great thing about that game as well is if you have four or five small-sided games going but only one scoreboard, nobody gets complacent because you could be dominating in your little pitch, but actually your, your, uh, your representatives on the other pitch are struggling. And I've got loads of session plans and videos and diagrams on the website. But then that kind of grew arms and legs to, well, it's not just about goal scoring, is it? So that Q&A to the players, guys, what else is football all about? And that's when you get them vocalising, passing, moving, spreading out, communicating, trying your best. And I'm just saying, well, if I see any of this, um, I'll send you to the scoreboard. And that's what I talk about all the time. Let them play, catch them doing good. It's a small-sided game now, but I'm saying, brilliant, Dexter, come put a ball on the scoreboard. Great dribble, David. Uh, I love that you tried that turn, Sarah. That's what we've been doing at training, come to the scoreboard. And a whole environment of, of, of effort over outcome. But what they don't realise, the more I praise and they come to the scoreboard, the more you're getting the numbers down to 2v2s, 1v2s, 3v1s, all the things we spoke about, the picture's constantly changing. And all they're doing is, I'm, I'm just catching them doing good. Um, and that's just one example of a, a scoreboard. You know, we, we have scoreboards that will keep them off the pitch for a little bit longer as well. You know, the, the crossbar challenge, the, the beat the goalie, the flip the ball into the into the trash can, the dribble in and out of cones and stop the ball in your scoreboard and the other team come over and they steal it back and dribble it into their scoreboard. There's just hundreds of ones that are actually, there's touches of the ball. I still think there's a huge place for individual, you know, technical repetition. So one of the scoreboards I have is, you know, you take a throw in and you try and make it bounce in a just a square of cones, you know, five by five area with four cones. So what we have now is an environment where the vast majority of my players are benefiting from a games-based approach. Someone's getting praised for effort. I don't worry that you gave the ball away. I love that you tried that forward pass. Come to the scoreboard. Then he or she's working on a throw-in. And I'm right there to spend a couple of minutes and, and coach them if they need a wee bit of help with their throw-ins. Right, how you could get to bounce in the box is just to... You know, go back before you come forward. You need to release the ball above their head. 
they'll inevitably be get a wee bit better at, at the throwing because the only way they get a point, I don't know if I've even mentioned this, the scoreboard's obviously keeping the score. It's not the game that's keeping the score. So it's 4v4, reds against yellows. If you do something good, you get called to the scoreboard. And if you take that throw in and it bounces in that box, that's now 1-0 to the yellows. So they're motivated to learn. Um, so a real simple concept that I could talk about all day, but um, what it means in youth football in particular is we can define what winning looks like. It's not the scoreline in the game, it's the scoreboard, the fun game at the side. And that means you can make winning look like, well, whatever you value as a coach, you make praise yeah. loads and loads passing and moving because that's what you're all about. You make praise dribbling loads. You make praise communication. You make praise scanning and, and moving away from the ball. Kids love that when they've not even touched the ball. And you've said, Rebecca, come to the scoreboard. Do you know why I sent you to the scoreboard? And if they can tell you, then great. But if they don't understand, it's like, well, you moved away and you, you created space for your teammates. And anyway, I'm the wee bit of a journey, Dexter, with scoreboard soccer, where all it ever was was these really fun games that math players loved. And I thought the environment really helped them to, to work hard, benefit from a games-based approach, get some individual techni technical work at the scoreboard. It was one of them where the session would be over and you'd be like, time's flown and, you know, really good fun. But I'm on a wee bit of a, a journey now where um, people are, are seeing the benefit of it. And I've obviously got the website and the book and things like that as well now. So I really do think it's, you know, it's developing the, the players. I think they're coming along. But most importantly, I think they're in. I think they're enjoying it. Yeah, no, fantastic. I love that element of, you know, um, do you know why? Do you know why? Mm -hmm. here? And, and like uh, you've said a couple of times, I've heard of people say, we're trying to catch them in, not catch them out. So yeah. uh, I've even had, you know, coach developers and I was doing my B license say it to me around, you know, and he's questioning me around my my session or whatever when I was doing that quality. It's, I'm trying to catch you in, trying to catch you doing the good stuff. We're not trying to catch you out. And I love that uh, little kind of phrase. I think it's really, really uh, important and really fantastic. Um, I know you've done a, you mentioned when we spoke previously, you've been doing some of this delivery of in primary schools and stuff and supporting yes. on, on that front. So I think it might be good to hear a bit more about that because we might have uh, people out there, you know, we can see it now, uh, a teacher who's busy, you've, you've got to deliver the PE and they don't know where to start other than just chucking a ball. Um, on yeah. That. So it'd be good just to hear a bit more about your experience on, on that. Yeah, so, so from scoreboard soccer going as just these little fun games I did, in my coaching, to, as I mentioned, the journey I'm on, lockdown came and I went on furlough and, you know, we're in the house and I have a lot more time. Started to share them wider and now I'm finding that there's benefits beyond even kind of my wildest dreams of, of where it's going into. And schools is one place that is really, really taken off, which I'm delighted about. Um, but just to give you the backstory, I always thought scoreboard soccer worked really well on two levels. If you're a volunteer coach who's just started out and uh, you're getting told about a games-based approach and let them play, this can really help you while you build up your knowledge and go through your level ones and, and, and become a wee bit more competent with delivering other things. The idea of small-sided games, catch them doing good, will really help you. If you put the scoreboard in there, what it will really help you with is to keep engagement at an optimum, work with mixed abilities, because you can be the owner of the destiny of, of, of how many you bring off and, and how often and give other players a touch of the ball. It'll keep engagement, mixed ability levels and behaviour in check. And if you're a volunteer coach, that's probably enough. Let them play the game, catch them doing good. Know the behaviours you want to see, call them out, highlight them, praise them and build good habits in young players. That's if you're a volunteer coach. If you have been coaching for 20 years and you have an A licence, there's still benefit there as well. So this is a kind of hidden reason I do it with some, some players is Dexter thinks he's at the scoreboard for doing something good, which he is, but really Dexter's out of position. So now we're navigating a 3v2, counter-attacking, attacking overloads, 
defending outnumbered. And actually, it gives you a really good environment if you're a knowledgeable, experienced coach. You've, you've got some knowledge to share to go in there and say, right, guys, freeze. 3v2 here. It's not going to last long because Dexter's on, Dexter's on his way back. How can we get some success? And you talk about width and length and penetrating passes and, you know, you talk about the opposition delaying until he gets back. And, 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 and that's the two levels that I was always quite aware of and I used them depending on my audience. Let them play catch them doing good or let's teach them the intricacies of the game in possession, out of possession and the transition between both. Since I've started sharing the games, the amount of people that have came back with other sports, you know, field hockey, GAA, basketball, rugby, other sports coming and saying, oh, these games are great. Um, but then the other one that I maybe wasn't considering and it's actually maybe working best in is the schools. Because the thing about a community football club most of the kids like football and they want to be there. So you get a certain engage of a certain level of engagement. You go into school, all of a sudden, potentially they don't like football and they need to be there. So scoble soccer can be really engaging and fun for the ones that haven't decided if they like football or not yet. Or the ones that would maybe roll their eyes, you know, it's football today kind of thing. But the second you throw in that scoreboard, well, you're lucky enough you're in a gym hall with basketball nets around and the scoreboard is trying to score for three points or... Uh, you know, you're throwing a beanbag into a hoop or you're doing the, the water bottle flip challenge. It's a scoreboard that the kids love. You know, if you do something really good in, in, on the pitch, you just try your best, yeah, you come over, you flip the water bottle. Really, really engages them. So going into schools, that, that's what I found. Not just for the children, but I've got a lot of friends who are, who are teachers. And, and as I say, I've got now a secondment. This has is, is, is led me to in, into the schools as well. I've got a lot of uh, friends that are teachers saying, yeah, math, English, art, history, music, fine. I go into the gym hall or into the playground and all the boys and girls are asking for football or, or a big majority of them. I don't know what to do. And I've got a whole kind of workshop around that and a presentation I do if any of your listeners want me to, to do it for school teachers, you know, more than happy. I feel we actually empower the ones that, if you have a young person who likes football more than you, you empower them to set up some games of football. Right, can you go and pick, get a couple of captains and pick two teams of five or four teams of five, whatever numbers you have and space that you have. And then you just set up the scoreboard. And, and teachers are wildly creative. Some of the scoreboards they're coming up with are, are, are much better than the ones I've came up with. Get the kids to design the scoreboards. Talk about this all the time. If the, the kids have designed the, the scoring system, you're going to keep their engagement and their behaviour in check because they want to be sent for a wee shot of that. And the last thing they probably want is to be sat out which is obviously something that the teachers and coaches have at their disposal if needed. I'm never a big fan of it, but I need to hold my hand up in the mitt. You know, I have had to say, look, you're just going to have to sell for a wee minute and then, you know, you'll come back in soon. So, yeah, scoreboards that kids have created, I mean, beyond my wildest dreams, we've had kids create a game of hangman. So you've got kind of two mannequins and you've got a hat, sunglasses, scarf, goalie gloves and a goalie jersey at the base of the mannequins. And when you do something good, you go and put a, a nightmare clothing on the other team's mannequin. And the first one to hangman loses the game. And thinking these kids have just come up with, with, with fantastic scoreboards. So hopefully I've painted the picture. Uh, and some teachers can think like, yeah, you know, I could probably put them into get the bibs out, put them into teams, create a central scoreboard. Uh, I can show great footage of schools where I've got four pitches going and they're all just playing, but that central scoreboard right in the middle of the four pitches is where I can just stand and walk around and, and catch them doing good. And they come over for a wee shot of... Um, but there's ones that are... I don't know how well I'm explaining this, but I can share all the, 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 the lesson plans. There's ones that are specific to schools that I do as well, but there's actually a bit of an education piece at the scoreboard. So I've did ones with the kids where I've got flip chart paper and pens, and all they get told is, 
So you've got four games of football going on all the pitches. It's white team against blue team using the bibs. I've got a flip chart paper with a heading of white team, blue team, and I've got some pens. Right, when you get caught doing good, when you get sent to the scoreboard, come and write a letter on the scoreboard, ABC, whatever it is, any letter, wee bit of handwriting, wee bit of whatever. And all they're doing over the next five, ten minutes of games is they're accumulating as many letters as they as they can. Then you pull them all in, you say blue team over there, white team over there, you've got two minutes, how many letters, how many words can you make using the letters you've accumulated? So the harder you work and the more you engage in football, the more letters you've got, now what words can you come up with? We call that one countdown, like the, the TV show, we call that one countdown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. We've they, got, yeah, so we've got really that. simple scoreboards that are just like a Q&A with the teacher. You know, right, come over and for a goal, you're going to ask something you've been working on in the classroom. So, but happy to share videos and lesson plans of, of how it can work in schools. No, awesome. I mean, my, my, my cogs are already going and thinking about how I can implement that you know, with my with my senior ladies team, with with my classroom. I think the possibilities are just endless and that, that core kind of principle is just is just fantastic. So, yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. I would just like to take a moment in this episode to talk about a supporter of the podcast. These early episodes have been supported by Oddballs and the Oddballs Foundation. Oddballs are a testicular cancer charity who are raising money and awareness for what is the most common type of cancer to affect men between ages of 15 and 49. You can find out more about this at theoddballsfoundation.com. Yeah, but definitely I think um, there's, there's a lot of ways that I think that could be really, really implemented. And I hope there'll be people out there that you know kind of listen to that, I think, across football, PE, teaching, mm -hmm. learning. Definitely different ways that could be uh, that could be implemented. So, yeah, appreciate that. Um, so, how would we like to try and finish on this pod, David? Is we a bit of a, a quick fire round? I mean, we've touched on some of this stuff already, but we'll kind of round it off now. So, for you, uh, if you had to kind of whittle it down, uh, what would be your three fundamentals to effective teaching, coaching, or learning? Uh, three fundamentals. Uh, I think fun would be the first one. Uh, really good fun, and a lot of us have. Preach that for years. It's all about fun. It's all about fun. But a lot of us, including myself, need to make sure we keep revisiting our definition of fun because it looks a lot different now to what it maybe did when I was younger. You know, with the, the you're competing with games consoles and Netflix and YouTube and social media, uh, and you can actually take the learning from them what they all have in common, which is this thing of autonomy. Kids being the owners of their own destiny, choosing what they want to do, uh, picking their own teams, mixing up the teams, loads of free play, loads of gameplay. Um, creating characters at your training sessions, all these kind of things. So the first one would be fun. The next one would be person development uh, as well. Develop the, the person. Um, we'd all love to develop the next Messi or Ronaldo, but I talk all the time or I think all the time about this, develop a colleague. Would you want to sit next to this person in the office in 10 years? I think there's so much, uh, it's such an achievement to develop a really, really good person. And then the third one would be develop the, the player, give everyone the equal opportunities to develop. And I do think those three come hand in hand. You know, that's my values and my kind of mantra. And, and listen, you might get me on next year and that changes because football's always evolving. But fun person, player. Because if they're having great fun, they keep coming back. If you're developing them as a person, they have kind of fallback nets if they don't make it as professional footballs. And as I say, they all tie in because... The more investment you give them in as people, I think the more they give you back as as players. You know, they're willing to work hard for you and trust you to do what's what's right by them. So, um, yeah, that, that would be my three. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I always ask myself, would I enjoy this or are they going to do it? I worked, I worked with a senior 
a women's team and even then at the forefront of our minds are, are they going to enjoy this because then that's that's when i've got their attention that's when i've got their buy-in planning my lessons in the classroom as well are they going to enjoy this or are they going to be sitting there watching the clock thinking when when is this over and if i can get that you know grab their attention then i've got more chance of being able to kind of pass over the information that i want to so yeah definitely agree with that um you've had a lot of experiences um but if i could take you back now to speak to david who was just starting out what would you tell him what would be your advice um probably this idea of you don't know what you don't know uh because a lot of people start out and they think maybe because they're big fans of the game and they go and watch the team every week and they maybe played the game at a decent level that they, they they're going to be able to transition right into coaching but like you don't know what you you don't know and i look back with some of the stuff uh, i did when i was younger like always instructing always talking to players uh telling them what to do standing in lines running around the pitch playing two touch you know i've made all the the the, the mistakes um and, and I think with time, I've, I've, I mean, I'm still learning. I'm still learning, but uh, just being open-minded, uh, I guess I would, I would say this idea of you, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, no, I love that. And often we find out the more we, the more we learn, the more we know, the more we realise we don't know as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's a constant, it's a constant journey. And I've got a colleague who always says, she says that your mind's like a parachute. It works best when it's open. And I'd, I'd probably go back and say that because a lot of people, when you first start, you think I'm going to get into coaching because I know it's all about this. I'm going to get them passing and moving and tactically aware and more drive. We need to bring back old school stuff around tackling. And and actually, if you open your mind, you, you'll see there's loads and loads of different ways of, of, of doing things. Um, a lot of coaches and volunteers get a bad reputation for coming in and working in the, in the youth game and trying to be Mourinho or, or Pep or whatever and I actually don't think it's a bad thing because I was probably the same if, it, if it's that initial pull that gets you in to help out with the young players and helping your local community grassroots team who cares if you're doing it because you want to be the next Pep Guardiola if it gets you in initially then once we get them in there then maybe we can open their minds I've got I can't remember, but I, I, I totally think that I probably first started getting to coaching because I thought it was going to be about me. I'm going to be a coach with my name on my tracksuit and my whistle and my clipboard, and I'm going to be the next Alex Ferguson and all this kind of stuff. And then actually when you get in the room, with if you have an open mindset, you realise that, well, it's not actually about me. It's all about the kids. And going back full circle to what we first said, how can I make myself obsolete? Yeah, I mean, I always bear that in mind when working with, with other newer coaches or newer teachers about that you know i think if you spoke to anyone you know we're in, in teaching coaching with 20 30 years experience if they fought back to when they first started they would probably cringe as well so it's yeah. that that none of us started perfectly we all probably started at that same point so being a kind yeah. of empathetic to that and, and understanding that but as you say it's just important that you know we're getting people in uh and then finally david is there anyone that you would like to hear from on the podcast or anyone that you think i should speak to that's got something to say um I don't know if you've maybe spoke of, uh, do you know Alan White up here in Scotland, Chalky White? No, no. A fantastic coach educator we have here yeah. in Scotland, an absolute guru of the of the grassroots game. Um, yeah, have a little look. He actually is football development officer at the heart of Midlothian Football Club, so one of our professional clubs up here, but does you know loads of work in the, the community with children. And in my opinion, he just he just gets it. He knows it's all about fun. It's all about kids. He's great engagement. He's got great ideas, insight, and um, little anecdotes from all his experience in the game. So, yeah, maybe have a little look at Alan White, uh, nicknamed Chalky. Awesome. Yeah, no, definitely. We definitely will do. David, it's been a pleasure. No, thanks, Dexter, for having me on. And hopefully I've shared you know, a couple of ideas with your, your listeners. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, fantastic. Thank you. Take care.
Big thanks to David for joining me on the pod this week. You can find him on Twitter at Coach David Bird and be sure to check out scoreboardsoccer.com if you'd like to find out more. I hope you enjoyed this one and I'll see you next time. Goodbye.